Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So 2023 is our year with Jesus. As I hope you know, we are focusing uh, exclusively only on the life and the teachings of Jesus this year. And last week we started a conversation on the Gospel of John. Over the summer months, we're going to be walking piece by piece, little by little through the Gospel of John. And like the other Gospels, John is trying to make sense of and then explain uh, who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, Uh, because it's a confounding and confusing story that this first century Jewish rabbi would turn out to actually be God, that this rabbi would start healing people and forgiving people on behalf of God, and then he would die, and then he would raise from the dead. It's a confusing, confounding story. And so all of the Gospels, John included, are trying to tell the story about who this Jesus is and what Jesus was doing. And last week we looked at the the prologue uh, for the Gospel of John. John starts uh, this book with a poem. And uh, it's an extended metaphor that kind of slowly reveals itself. Uh, And the the point of John's prologue, this opening poem, is so that we can get a, a full picture of who Jesus is before we learn the story. Right? So he's about to get into the narrative. So he's about to tell us what Jesus did. And he just starts by saying, Um, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the Word was with God at the beginning, and the Word participated in creation, and no one has ever seen God, but the Son, who is himself God, shows us who God really is. John is saying, before I tell you the story about Jesus, all the things Jesus did, I want you to know that Jesus is God, and that Jesus showed up to show us who God really is. And so once we kind of have that as a foundation that Jesus is God and Jesus shows up on earth to show us who God really is, then we can dive into the story of what happened when Jesus was on earth. And right at the beginning of that story, Jesus calls his first disciples, his first followers. And this is what happens in John uh, chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 36, when Jesus calls his first followers. It says, when John saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, And when the two disciples heard John say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Uh, This is an important part of the Jesus story. And again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but uh, one of the ways you can know uh, that you know, one of these narratives in the Gospels is so important is if all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all include the story. And this is one of those stories that a version of it appears in all four Gospels. Jesus is beginning his public ministry as a rabbi. Right? He's calling his first followers. And that practice, calling disciples, and, and even the phrase, come follow me, was a very normal um, part of what it meant to be a rabbi. Right? All rabbis had disciples, and all rabbis called disciples, and they called disciples with that phrase, follow me. 
The abnormal part of this story isn't that Jesus calls disciples and that he uses this phrase. The abnormal part is who Jesus is calling. Uh, the goal for young Jewish boys at the time, first century Jerusalem, the goal for young Jewish boys was this, was to be chosen by a rabbi to become a disciple. And so at the age of six, Jewish boys started rabbinic school. And, and they memorized memorized the Torah. And by the age of 10, the goal was to have the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, totally memorized. And so if you were able to do that, if you memorized the entire Torah and you were the best of the best, you would continue on in your rabbinic education when you got to 10. So you tried to memorize from six years old to 10 years old. And then when you got to 10, you hopefully got to move on to kind of secondary school from ages 10 to 14. And from 10 to 14, these young boys would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, like all of the prophets. And then at age 14, these 14-year-olds would get quizzed by local rabbis. And the rabbis were trying to figure out which of these local boys had a full understanding of the Hebrew scriptures and then would be a good fit to carry on each individual rabbi's yoke, and this is maybe a word you know from the Gospels, but each rabbi had a yoke, a way of teaching, a way of being in the world, and they're looking for disciples who understand the Hebrew scriptures and who will carry on their particular yoke. And so rabbis would go into these small rural towns and they would quiz 14-year-old boys on the Hebrew scriptures, and it would usually go something like this. They would quote a verse from the Old Testament. And then they would ask this 14-year-old to tell them the verse two or three beforehand. So it wasn't even just, you know, finish the sentence. It was, you have to know it. You have to know exactly where it comes from. And you have to know what's two or three sentences ahead of it. Right? They had to really memorize it. And if you were the best of the best and you were a good fit to carry on that rabbi's yoke, the rabbi would look at you and say, come, follow me. And you would. Because it was the whole point of your previous eight years of education that eventually some rabbi would come to your town, would quiz you, and then would say, come follow me. But if you didn't pass whatever that particular quiz was, if you weren't a good fit to carry on the yoke, the rabbi, instead of saying, come follow me, would say, go and be with your family. Go and continue on your family business. So these guys, um, they had flunked out of rabbinic school. They weren't good enough. Uh, they weren't called by any other, any other rabbis. We know from the other gospels, they're already working. They're already doing their family business, right? They have been sent back to their families, right? They, they have flunked out. But Jesus calls them to be the disciples. He says the magic words, follow me. And it was a privilege. And of course, they do. Not because Jesus is particularly magnetic or charming, but because this was the goal of everyone in this culture was that some rabbi would show up and say these words. But you'll see in John, and just like the rest of the accounts, Jesus gives no test. There's no quizzing. There's nothing there. Jesus just calls the folks who weren't on their first career choice. He called the folks who weren't the most theologically sound. They weren't scholarly or impressive. And he doesn't even quiz them. And to me, that sounds like good news. 
And I think there's a lot to learn from these disciples, these first disciples, right? They're not put together. They're not scholarly. Uh, No one has been impressed by them previously, but they're called and then they go. And there's something I think here for us. And I think the first thing we can learn if we're hoping to be followers of Jesus, to spend time with Jesus and ultimately become like Jesus, is to be curious. You know, it, it was curiosity that led these rabbinic school dropouts to eventually be called by Jesus. For me, curiosity was not always rewarded in the um, religious spaces I grew up in. Right, The role was usually to sit quietly, to hear, and then intellectually agree and ask no questions. But these first disciples, you know, John, this, this story starts with John saying, look, there's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. And the disciples here, they don't just say, okay, cool. They kind of, um, that's a confusing statement to say. And they do a 180 and they follow Jesus around. And then they ask Jesus a question, like, where are you staying? And Nathaniel asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? It, it's just, it's not meant to be mean. It's just childlike curiosity. Your questions, your curiosities, your doubts, they don't disqualify you from following Jesus for being a disciple. They are necessary and good. Listen, you should keep asking questions of the Bible. Uh, The Bible is confusing and it's weird and it's sometimes offensive. And if you are reading the Bible and you don't have questions pop up in your brain, you are not paying attention. Stay curious, ask the question, poke at it a little bit, pull the thread, whatever you need to remind yourself, it's okay. It's curiosity that got these first disciples called by Jesus. That's why we know their names, because they were curious. These disciples are curious, and then um, they're unhurried. Now, I know they're probably 15 or 16 with not that much to do, but they're just unhurried. They do a 180 and follow Jesus. They're, They're on their way to something else. They're not just standing around. They are walking somewhere. They have something else going on. And they do a 180 and they follow Jesus. And then they spend the entire day with him. The entire day. And what I'm not trying to do, I think you know this about me, but I'm not trying to shame you into reading your Bible and praying for more time every week. Right? I'm not trying to get your like average spiritual time per week up. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not, I'm not hoping to convince you to do a longer quiet time in the morning and just even the phrase quiet time maybe hurt your soul a little bit today. But here's what I do want you to hear. A life with Jesus is not built on efficiency. It is slow. It is slow. And most of us want like here are the three steps to a more successful and meaningful and spiritual and connected life. We, we want like what are the, what's the easy, we want a little shortcut. We want the easy way. But that never works, at least not for long. Nietzsche famously called the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. This is us, just be unhurried. If if you want to be more loving, more spiritual, more connected, take a deep breath. It's going to take a while. It might be a while. But what I'm hoping today is that you don't get frustrated by that. You don't say, well, just forget it. The slowness of this, of a life with Jesus, of spirituality, 
The slowness of it shouldn't frustrate you. What I'm hoping is that you just feel all the shame melt away. That this isn't a race and you're not behind. No matter what you tell yourself, you are not behind. There is no test. There's no quiz. There isn't a race. Just move in a direction with patience and persistence. Just be unhurried. It's long obedience in the same direction. Be unhurried. Be curious. Be unhurried. And then be covered in the dust. These guys literally, these disciples that are called by Jesus, they literally turn around and they follow Jesus. They follow him around. And for first century Jews, this is the entire work of being a disciple. If you were a disciple to a rabbi, if you finally got called after all that study, then what you did is you literally followed one step behind the rabbi all day long. And you followed the rabbi along, uh, around on unpaved dirt roads from town to town. And you did this so much that um, a phrase, a saying was developed in the first century to describe the goal or the role of what it meant to be a disciple. And the phrase was this, that the goal was to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. There just meant literally that at the end of the day, you should have walked so closely behind your rabbi all day long that you get home and you are literally covered in the dust that your rabbi kicked up on those unpaved dirt roads. And this is our goal, that we actually follow that we're curious, yes, that we ask the question, that we spend unhurried time, that we're not worried about efficiency or speed. And then we learn that we allow ourselves to be covered by all that goodness and grace and love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness, that all of that just covers us, that we actually follow close enough to learn some things, that we ask the questions, yes, that we spend time, yes, and then we just allow ourselves to actually soak it all up. We need to be covered in the dust of our rabbi. And now, maybe you're like me and you grew up in a, a, what might be described as a high-control religious environment. I grew up Southern Baptist in Northeast Texas. And if you grew up in a fundamentalist religious environment, uh, one of the first things you probably heard about yourself uh, is that you are bad. And I believe it is one of the most insidious and damaging ideas that children are taught in these environments. Right? From a very young age, I was taught that I was wicked, that I couldn't trust myself. And the scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. Right? You can't trust your emotions. You can't trust your thoughts. Right? We talked about our thought life, that our thoughts were bad. We used to pray for each other's thoughts that our emotions were bad, you can't trust your gut or your intuition because you're deceitful and you're wicked and you're bad. But one of the, one of the many problems with these environments is that because you can't trust yourself, you have to trust someone so you just end up trusting the guy on the stage because the guy on the stage or the guy in the room who's leading the study or whatever it is, that guy is usually talking with full certainty. And so you just listen to someone else tell you about Jesus, tell you about the Bible, tell you about religion. You can't trust yourself, but you have to trust somebody. And so you end up just getting a secondhand version. Or worse, you get a counterfeit Jesus. But in this story, in John, these disciples, their curiosity, their unhurriedness, their following closely behind 
was rooted in a desire to see for themselves. Right, John, right, he makes a claim about Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. But these disciples don't settle for a secondhand account. They don't understand it. They follow for themselves. They see for themselves. And over and over again, the invitation here is come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Just see for yourself. And you gather today, you, wherever you are, you are capable of exploring and asking questions and seeing this Jesus for yourself. You don't need to settle for a secondhand Jesus. You don't need to be coerced or convinced to buy into a counterfeit version. You are capable and you are intuitive and you are trustworthy and you are wise and you can see for yourself. You don't have to trust someone else's curiosity or lean on someone else's long obedience or be covered in the dust of another disciple. Just see Jesus for yourself. That's the subtext of all of this. Be curious for yourself. Don't trust someone else's. But sit unhurried yourself. Follow closely behind yourself. All of this is followed by come and see. Come and see. See for yourself. And for you, do you consider yourself uh, a disciple? Maybe that word is just hard for you in general. Maybe you've been to discipleship training. Maybe someone discipled you, which is never meant to be a verb. Maybe the word disciple is hard for you, but I wonder if you are hoping to follow Jesus in some way. And full transparency, I am not offended if you answer no to that. That's okay. And then of these ideas, being curious, being un unhurried, being covered in the dust, following close behind, which is the hardest for you and what's going the best, I wonder? You know, I, I think for a lot of us, um, the idea of being covered in the dust, following close, closely behind, learning things, we like that. It's kind of the environments we're where we grew up in, right? Again, just sit quietly and learn, absorb. We can do that. For me, I'm generally in a hurry. You know, I like being curious and I like learning, um, but being unhurried is very hard for me. I want to move with some speed, with some pace. And maybe it's true for you too, that of being curious and being unhurried, following closely behind, that maybe just being unhurried is the hardest for you. I wonder what that is. And then how could you see for yourself? How could you see this Jesus for yourself? Maybe you've only ever gotten a secondhand version of Jesus. And I wonder what it would look like for you to see for yourself. And I know this might be hard for you to hear from me, but you might need to read your Bible. I know I've said discipleship, quiet time, and read your Bible today. Don't be mad. Just read the Gospel of John. I dare, I dare you. I, I triple, double dog dare you. Just read it. See what it says. Just read the red letters. See what Jesus does and says. Listen, I'm telling you, some way, somehow, you're going to have to see for yourself. You're going to have to test this yourself. No more secondhand. No more counterfeit. You're going to have to see for yourself. And listen, you might need to listen. Maybe, maybe you need to listen to the Bible. Maybe you need a new translation. We can talk about that. Let me know. But I'm telling you, you might just need to get in there. And so if you're willing, just read the Gospel of John over the next few weeks. It's not that long. And some people say, you know, the Bible is just so hard to read. Kind of, 
but a lot of it is hard to read because of what we've been taught about it. So pick a new translation. They're, they're all written at about a seventh grade reading level. You can do it. I believe in you. See for yourself. No more secondhand. You know, the, the simple story, I think, is full of good news. Right? It's not the put together or the scholarly who are chosen. There's no test. Hallelujah. But these guys are curious and they are present and they are learning. And mostly they are seeing for themselves. Uh, I've been a pastor for about 10 years now. And um, one of the gifts for me uh, in the last couple years at Gather is the realization um, that I no longer feel responsible for your beliefs. I don't feel responsible for your beliefs. Uh, it took me a long time. But if you change your mind about something, or uh, you decide you don't believe at all, or um, you decide that you disagree with me and I'm the one that's wrong, uh, I don't feel responsible for that. I don't feel like it's my fault if you change uh, your belief system or your values. More than ever, I am confident in your ability to form your own beliefs and your own values, your own thoughts. And what I'm hoping today is that you are confident in your own ability to form your own beliefs and your own values and your own thoughts. Listen, I, I am not your gatekeeper. I don't get to tell you what's good or bad. And I am not your guru. I do not have three steps to a simpler spirituality. I don't have a monopoly on the truth. I don't feel responsible for your beliefs because they are yours. You are responsible for them. And you are capable of coming to reasonable conclusions because you are wise and intuitive and trustworthy. You can trust yourself. You can. You are not wicked or deceitful. You can trust yourself. So gather, just hear me today. You, wherever you are, hear me today. You have full agency over your beliefs. You have choices and options. And you, you are wise, capable, trustworthy, and good. And so you, who have all that agency and all that wisdom, it's time for you to go see for yourself. Gather, this is my prayer for us today. You are good enough, worthy enough, capable enough of asking your own questions, taking your time, and learning everything you need to know. Refuse to settle for a secondhand account. See this Jesus for yourself. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.